thank you. Thank you, worship team, and so blessed. Thank you. Thank you. Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. It's great to see everyone here this morning, and it's so great to have um, the Hakes children home. They arrived early Thursday morning. They were scheduled to arrive at 12.10 a.m. We were going to pick them up at 12.10 a.m., I guess Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, however you look at it, and they didn't get in until 4.40 a.m. But it's great to have the Hakes children with us, and Tom and Rachel will be here later in the summer. Uh, can I embarrass you just for a moment? Sammy and, and, and Josh and Zach, would you please stand? Thank you. You may be seated. As many of you know, um, the Hakes family is a part of our church, and they're serving as missionaries in Nicaragua. And so um, congratulations to Josh. Um, he graduated and is going to be going to the University of Buffalo in September. Congratulations. Today is the eighth and concluding message in our series, Philippians, The Pursuit of Joy. Joy is the main theme in the New Testament book of Philippians. And this is a significant point since the Apostle Paul is writing from a Roman prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not a joyful situation to find himself in. He's writing to a church that he deeply loves, a church under tremendous persecution, and instructs them to be joyful in the Lord regardless of their circumstances. You see, biblical joy is an attitude. Last week I shared it's an approach to life rather than a reaction to life. It's a deep inner confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ that no matter what may be happening on the outside of us, within every believer is this confident assurance Paul writes about in Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. The Lord is working in you. The Lord is working for you. And the Lord is working through you. This surely was the case for the Apostle Paul as you read through Acts chapter 16. Through difficult and challenging circumstances, the Lord was deepening Paul's faith. You see the Lord's hand on his life every step of the way. And he had the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who he would have never met if it wasn't for the trial he found himself in. The same is true for us. You can be confident of this truth, that in the midst of your challenging situation, the Lord is working in you and for you and through you. 
And you can have this deep inner confidence and assurance in the Lord that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Gracious Father in heaven, thank you for your holy word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. And I pray through the person and power of the Holy Spirit, that you would speak through your servant here this morning, that you would open our hearts and minds to the truth of your holy word, and that it would accomplish that which it sent forth to do this day in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen, amen, amen. Philippians 4.13 is our main scripture text. The Apostle Paul pens these inspiring words to the church there in Philippi. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is one of the most popular verses in any of the 66 books of the Bible. It's been printed on millions of keychains, t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even on sneakers. Steph Curry of the world champion Golden State Warriors has this on his NBA sneakers. In fact, my son Matthew owns a pair of those sneakers. And it says, I can do all things. Not only is Philippians 4.13 one of the most popular verses in the Bible, but it's also one of the most misunderstood, one of the most misused and misinterpreted verses. Paul is not telling Christians that they should dream bigger dreams. Nothing wrong with dreaming dreams and bigger dreams, but that's not what Paul's telling Christians that they should do, that they should dream bigger dreams. He's reminding them that they can endure the crushing feeling of defeat when your dreams aren't realized. And Paul is not encouraging Christians to go out and conquer the world. He's reminding Christians in Philippi that they can press on when the world conquers them. In Christ, you can brush yourself off. You can get up and brush yourself off in Christ when the world beats you down. Does the world beat you down? As followers of Christ in this fallen world, we are one big punching bag. But we can get up in Christ. And we can brush ourselves off in Christ. As inspiring as these words might sound by themselves, they get distorted when applied apart from their context. And if we want to get at the true meaning of a message, a verse, a context is king. In context, this verse has a very specific meaning, one that most Americans don't want to hear about, but one that is very important for us to remember as believers, as Christ followers. Out of context, Philippians 4.13 is used as a blank check promise for whatever is desired, from winning a basketball game to losing weight to getting a new job to, to making millions of dollars. But in context, it is a verse about contentment. Contentment. It's not about your dreams coming true or your goals being met. It's about contentment. 
It's about being joyful, satisfied, and, and steadfast in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when life is hard and your circumstances seem impossible. You see, this verse is not about winning the basketball game. It's about how you respond when you lose the basketball game or get injured for the season or fail to make the team altogether. It's not about getting the new job, that new house, or that new outfit. Well, I got a new jacket. It's not about the new jacket. <laughs> it's about finding satisfaction in the Lord and being content. Philippians 4.13 is connected to Philippians 4.11. Paul writes, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Today's main text is not about being empowered to change your circumstances. A loss is a loss in the world of sports. You can't change the outcome of the game. That became a reality to my son Matthew this year in Binghamton. They made it to the state finals. And they were the favorite team to win. They played their worst game of the season. And they lost the game. It's a reality. There's nothing they can do about it. A loss is a loss. Some things will never change. But in that reality, there's a deep change that God wills to do in the hearts of every one of us when we find ourselves in a disappointing, challenging, discouraging, and devastating situation that might never, never change. Philippians 4.13 is a verse about relying on God's power in order to be content in the midst of circumstances you and I can't change. Church, this is a reality. There are circumstances in life that will never change. Never change. That's a reality on this side of heaven. The day after graduating from Bible school, I was ready to hit the ground. I'm running. I was serving as a full-time youth pastor at a, a, a very large church in Fort Mill, South Carolina. I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, and right over the, the, the um, state line was Fort Mill, South Carolina, and, and this was back in the early 80s and would have been called a mega church today, two, 3,000 plus people. I had a great first day serving. I was playing in a, in a softball league, and that night, after serving um, all day, first day, full time, on the job, it was a great day. I was so excited. I looked forward to going to our game. We were in the midst of a tournament, and I'm playing that night in this tournament, and I have a collision at second base and tore three ligaments severed three ligaments in my right knee. The pop was so loud. I remember our center fielder, Cal Bacon, running in from center field. 
And there I was laying on the ground, never broke a bone before in my body. Wasn't sure what I did. Well, I severed three ligaments in my right knee, which landed me in the hospital. Charlotte Orthopedic Hospital, under the knife by a surgeon named Dr. Buter. And he repaired my knee. And here I was laying there in the hospital, there for a handful of days, learned how to use crutches on this big leg cast, going up and down stairs. And, and I was laying in my hospital bed one afternoon, and someone with a legal pad came in and said that they work in the administration office of the hospital. And they said, um, I'm here to find out um, how you're making payment before you leave. And I said, payment? I have health insurance. I just obtained it. I'm working at such and such a church. And he said, your insurance was denied. How are you going to make payment? Well, how much is it? Well, he told me how much it was. It really didn't matter. Remember, I just graduated from Bible school. I was a poor Bible school graduate. I couldn't rub two pennies together, Bob Richardson. And so we had to work out a, a plan. I mean, I just graduated. I was going to hit the ground running and do these great things. And I just tore three ligaments in my right knee. Have this huge debt to pay. And then a month later, I was told that the ministry fell on hard times. And they were going to have to lay off several staff members. Your job is still here, but your pay won't be. Wow. Maybe you want to go back to Massachusetts to home, to your home, and, and do your rehab there. And maybe after rehab, things will change here, and we can reinstate your pay. Let me know what you want to do. Take the rest of the day to think about it. Let me know tomorrow. And so I remember going home that night to my apartment. And I just remember sitting on my bed and talking to the Lord about all that just transpired. And the Lord reminded me of a conversation that I had with him a few years back in a hotel room. I was traveling for this retail company and I was in Connecticut and I had applied for this Bible school but they had shared with me that there was no more openings for the major that I wanted to focus on. And so I had settled to continue to work for this company. I was traveling for them and 
I had received a message at the hotel desk when I returned that night from, from working, and it was the academic dean of this school, and someone had dropped out. They had one opening, and they needed to know right away because there's a waiting list if I would come. And this is June. And so I called the next morning before I went to work, and I spoke to this brother, many of you have met him. His name is Hugh Smith. He's been here on several occasions over the last several years. And he said, someone dropped out. There's one opening, but I need to know today, like right now on the phone. And so I said, I'll be there. Okay, we need you to be here by August 1st. I hung that phone up. I knelt beside my bed and I said, Father, at the age of 15, you've placed a calling on my life. And today I commit myself to this calling full time from this moment on with or without pay. And would you believe it? God reminded me of this that night in Charlotte. As I was thinking about and trying to process everything that's gone on over the last four weeks after graduating from Bible school, I was going to hit the ground running into a wall. <laughs> and something deep inside me just rose up. A holy confidence and contentment in the Lord Jesus Christ knowing that I'm his. And I said, God, I'm going to go there tomorrow. I'm going to go into the church office. I'm going to meet with Mark Mirrorhead. Some of you met Mark Mirrorhead. He's been here. It's been years. And I'm going to share with him this story of what I said to you. And I'm going to let him know this is the without pay season. And I did. And he had this blank stare. And for nine months, for nine months, I went every day and served in that ministry position. And church, if time would permit, it was probably some of the greatest moments of my life, growing, growing in faith. You see, God used all of that to put me in the school of faith. To learn to really depend and trust in him. Because I would need to in this ministry calling. And he began to show me how I leaned and trusted in my parents. And how I leaned and trusted in this and in that. And he just began to strip all that away. It's beautiful. Beautiful. At times, very painful. But beautiful. Beautiful. As he took this marble and with chisel and hammer began to chisel away. And whatever God chisels away, he's making something beautiful. Amen? Oh, 
The pounding hurts, doesn't it, church? The chiseling, the chipping away, it hurts. It's not without pain, it's not without cost. Well, in this process, I meet a pastor named Carly Touchstone. He was the former pastor here at Greece Assembly. And he was in three different places. The church at that time was looking for a youth pastor. And in three different locations, talking to three different people, people that didn't know each other, but all three knew me, gave me, gave him my name. Coincidence or God? He called me. Said he was from Rochester, New York, happened to be in town, was leaving the next morning. It was late at night when I got the message. Rochester, New York, where's that? New York, I'm a Red Sox fan. I'm from Boston. I'm not going to New York. <laughs> I wasn't going to call him. I went to bed. At one in the morning, I thought my heart was going to explode out of my chest, and so I called him. We met that morning at 7 for breakfast. He invited me to come. I said, but I'm not looking to leave. But he invited me to come and minister that weekend that he invited me for. And I said that I would. And so I came, and it was a wonderful weekend of ministry. And before I left, uh, Pastor Touchstone and, and the church leadership invited me to come and be the pastor. And I said, yes. Because I just knew deep down inside God was calling me to Rochester, New York. Prior to leaving Charlotte to come here the day before I was told that my pay was going to be reinstated God can't it just be easy <laughs> but long story short church it's an incredible story of God's grace of how God uses circumstances good and bad to lead, to guide, to direct, and to put us exactly where he wants us and do exactly what he wants to do deep down inside of us for his glory. And so in April of 1986, I made the move and came here 31 years ago. Incredible. Incredible. And so my ministry situation changed. But my knee was never the same. I could no longer play sports at the level I once enjoyed. And for me, that was a big deal. If, if, you, if you knew me then, that was a big deal. I just enjoyed playing sports. Loved to lay it all out there and to play at a high level. And I wasn't able to do that anymore. And if I could go back in time and change the events that happened that night on that softball diamond, I would. But I can't. But nonetheless, I know that I know that I know that I know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. There are circumstances in life, church, that will never change. Now, I believe the Lord could heal my knee, but he hasn't. And I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed for healing. But he hasn't. I still have knee issues. In fact, I'm playing softball right now with my three sons. And I did something 
in the very beginning of the first inning last Tuesday. And my knee was hurting. I could hardly run. But like the Apostle Paul, I've learned to be content by trusting and depending on Christ. Or more accurately, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. In today's main scripture text, the Apostle Paul is talking about contentment. In all circumstances, Paul had learned to be content by depending on Christ, who gave him the strength to persevere in any situation. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he writes, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. In verse 12, he writes, Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. In verse 13, our main scripture text, he writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When my stomach is full or empty, whether I am free or or a prisoner, whether I have much or have nothing. Paul writes, I have learned to live content. Paul is saying I can live a life of contentment through Christ who strengthens me. Here's a biblical definition. In fact, if you have an outline, I actually put it there on the outline. Contentment is an internal satisfaction in Christ alone, which does not demand changes in external circumstances. In Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. I mean, God showed Paul so much. He could have got a big head. God knows why he hasn't healed my knee. And I trust him. I trust him. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distress stresses for Christ's sake for when I am weak then I am strong in the chapter before in 2nd Corinthians chapter 11 verses 22 through 28 the apostle Paul's personal testimony recounts some of the hardships that confronted him as he hit the ground running for the Lord Jesus Christ the apostle Paul was imprisoned he was beaten he was threatened, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was robbed, and he was chased throughout his entire ministry. I thought I had it tough. No way. On top of all this, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, the apostle Paul had a persistent, unrelenting thorn oppressing his body. We don't know what it was. Although Paul prayed for relief, God's answer was not what he expected. Rather than the thorn being removed, Paul was given a deeper answer. It's found in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. Through the difficulty 
And it was an immense difficulty that lived with Paul. God taught Paul a vital lesson. In God's hands, our weakness makes room for God's strength, for God's grace. It is through his power and his power alone that we can be content. Whether my stomach is full or empty, whether I'm free or a prisoner, whether I have much or have nothing. Paul's aim in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is about contentment, not achievement. But oftentimes when we use that passage, it's about achievement and not contentment. And the truth that's being conveyed by Almighty God is not achievement, but contentment. Rather than envisioning all that he can accomplish, he is focused on his heart response to his circumstances. Paul didn't always see things the way he describes them in Philippians. In his own words, he had to learn to be content in the ups and downs of life. He writes in in verse 11, Philippians 4.11, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. You see, Paul grew to believe with deep conviction that all of who Christ was in his life, his Savior, his Lord, his provider, was what he needed most. That's what we all need the most. The sufficiency of Christ that Paul experienced strengthened him to have a strong heart of contentment no matter the circumstances. Church, contentment is a learned state. Contentment is not something that comes naturally. Naturally, we are prone to compare ourselves with others. Pastor Bob talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and to always want more than we have. It's never enough, is it, church, if we're honest with ourselves? And advertisers know this. Advertisers capitalize on the discontentment of Americans. In fact, they make millions off discontented people. You don't have to teach any of these things. They come naturally to us. But not so with contentment. Contentment contentment is not natural. It is a Christian grace that grows over time as we learn to trust Jesus. As our knowledge of Christ grows and our faith is deepened. Contentment begins to grow when we come to understand that our greatest treasure is our relationship with Jesus Christ. When we realize the value of God's love, when we realize the value of God's grace and mercy, contentment begins to grow. Amen? Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26 say, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. Could you pen those words? Our contentment grows and is anchored in our relationship with Christ. No matter what the circumstances, we know we are getting better than what we deserve. We know. We're getting better than what we deserve. Ask yourself these four questions. Number one, who am I? A saint. Remember in chapter 1 of Philippians, 
Paul is writing, verse 1, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Who am I? A saint. In Christ Jesus. Not in the Catholic Church, not in the Assemblies of God Church. You are a saint in Christ Jesus. Whose am I? Christ. Paul says in Philippians 3.12, Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. We talked about this last week. Has Christ laid a hold of you? Have you laid a hold of Christ and all that he's done for you on Calvary's cross? Number three, what am I? A citizen of heaven. Remember in chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says, for our citizenship is in heaven. If you're a Christ follower, this world is not your home. You're a foreigner. Your bags are packed. You're on a trip. You're on a journey to your eternal home in glory in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. We have a heavenly king. In fact, we declared the praises due his name as King of kings and Lord of lords. And number four, what do I need? We're all needy people. This preacher right here is needy. What do I need? The same thing you need. God's love, God's grace, and God's mercy. And Paul says in Philippians 4.19, In my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Another verse, when taken out of context, we make it say what the writer is not saying. Everything you need, everything you need, everything I need, we are needy people in need of God's love, in need of God's grace, in need of God's mercy. Everything you and I need has been provided um, for you and for me in Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Everything we need. Everything. And God knows better than we do what our real needs are. Amen? You want to learn to be content? You want to grow in contentment? And Paul writes in Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, Finally, my brethren, whatever things are, are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are a good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. These things, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, make Christ your focus and not your circumstance. David in Psalms 23.1 writes, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There is no lack in Christ Jesus. All that we need or will ever need, Christ has provided. Amen? Christ has provided. He's sovereign, and he chooses to glorify himself through us as he wills. Amen? And there are times, and there's been many times throughout world history where God has chosen to glorify himself through the miraculous, amen, miracles, miracles of healing. That's our, part of our redemption story, the Madeira's household. 
And if that's how God sovereignly chooses to glorify himself and to make himself known, amen. And if he chooses not to bring the healing that I've prayed for for years, I trust him. Amen? I trust him. And I know that he has a plan to glorify himself even through that infirmity that plagued Paul, that thorn in the flesh. Contentment is based on the riches of God in Christ Jesus. Not in the riches in our bank account, because that can change. And boy, with the way the world's going, it's a mess. It's a mess. And if that's where we place all of our hope, all of our peace, the day's going to come when our world is going to be shaken to the very core. Stock markets change. There's so much in our world today that's just unstable. And it's getting worse and not better. Contentment is based on the riches of God in Christ Jesus. It's not whether you win that baseball game, that basketball game. It's not whether you get approved to purchase that house. Or you get that promotion, that new job, that raise. Contentment is based on the riches of God in Christ Jesus. When Jesus is not enough, we will covet. The biblical definition of covetousness is to have a longing for or strong selfish desire for something and even someone else to bring you pleasure and satisfaction apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. The riches of God in Christ Jesus. And as Americans, not only are we tempted, we give in to that temptation, don't we, church? And for some of us, we just have to keep spending money. We have to just keep buying something. And we buy something more, and we still have that dissatisfaction. And so we go back out, and we buy something more, only to have even that satisfaction deeper and stronger. Thank you, sister. Nothing wrong with things, but when things have you, there's everything wrong with them. (laughs) Covetedness breeds discontentment. And Jesus is not enough. Because Jesus is not enough, you are never satisfied. The meaning of the 10th commandment in Exodus 20, verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is um, your neighbor's, stresses the importance of being content with the Lord and all he has provided for you. The riches of God in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 13, 5 says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What else do we need? Is Jesus enough for you? 
Contentment comes as we grow to love Christ more completely. Too many people believe that contentment, fulfillment, and real satisfaction are found in power, found in possessions, in promotion, and pleasure. But these are roads that lead to dead ends. And there is only one road to contentment, and it goes through Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul wrote, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. You see, for the Apostle Paul, growing in Christ's likeness, in contentment, in whatever state he was in, was to Paul, was to the Apostle Paul, great gain. And that great gain is summed up in Philippians 4, 7, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. How many want the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding? Understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What great gain in the midst of, of challenging, challenging circumstances. How do we know we're growing? As I close here this morning, how do we know we're growing in contentment? Two things. This is not an exhaustive list, but two things to provoke thought. The person growing in contentment is, number one, not complaining to God or about God. Instead, there is a silent confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ that produces a peaceful trust, a knowing that all things will work together for good to those who love God. And number two, uh, the person growing in contentment is not controlled by their circumstances. Circumstances doesn't Control your praises to Jesus. Your faithfulness to Jesus. Instead, you press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. They rejoice in the Lord always as we talked about last week. And so when Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he was writing to the Philippians about contentment. He assured them that there is a grace from heaven available that will enable him to endure whatever circumstance he finds himself in. Whether my stomach is full or empty, whether I am free or a prisoner, whether I have much or have nothing, the same grace is available to the Philippians that was available to the Apostle Paul, and that same grace from heaven is available to every single one of us here today. Would you join me standing? There are three songs I like us to sing. I surrender all. These are some classics. I surrender all. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. And as we sing these songs, if you want to come and spend some time around the front, the altar, and just cast your cares upon the Lord, press in with him feel free to do that you can do it in your pew but if you want to break out void of any distraction and come to the front here if you've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ I invite you today to come to come come to the front Pastor Dan, Pastor Ken will be more than happy to talk with you to pray with you Jesus Christ died for you he died for me and maybe you're here and you've never accepted the forgiveness of sin, the gift of eternal life. 
that's only found and offered in Jesus Christ. And today the Holy Spirit has opened your heart to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of what Jesus did for you on Calvary's cross some 2,000 years ago. And today you want to you you receive him by faith into your life as your Lord and Savior. Would you come?